Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by second-time guest on, a, on an elite level here. He is Matthew Freeman from the Action Network. Are you still your editor-in-chief over there at the Action Network? Is that correct? I know it's a lofty title. No, I, I've actually uh, surrendered my editor-in-chiefing. Wow. Uh, wow. And, uh, very magnanimous. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I, I really wasn't doing any editing or much chiefing. Uh, so it was, it was really best for me just to surrender the title. And uh, now I'm, I'm just full-time content, which, let's be honest, I never wanted to edit another piece for the rest of my life. So this is great news for me. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some slang for what chiefing means that you're going to not well, – I don't know what it is. Yeah. I'm just saying. It just <laughs> right. sounds like it could be something. Oh, it's, so let's, it's bad, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's, yeah, well, of course it's bad or else it's not fun. Um, okay, so yeah, so now you're, you're, you're a commoner now. And you're just you're just you just got takes like the rest of us. Well, we all we, we all have takes. We have, this is Super Bowl week. So I don't know if it's a Super Bowl of takes for this week because quite honestly, by the time two weeks roll around – we're just done with all with all the takes. And for, for me, um, before we get – okay, let me lay out what we're going to talk about today. So we'll talk about a little bit of what's going on at the Super Bowl generally. Focus on props, though, all the props that's going on. Uh, the Super Bowl of props is the Super Bowl, of course. And uh, that's, that's a horrible uh, analogy. And then, um, and then also maybe talk some Matthew Stafford trade and some things there. Uh, I got a couple of rants potentially to go on. Uh, about that and first round draft picks and value and all that, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but anyway, it's the Super Bowl first. It's interesting because this seems like a dream matchup for the NFL, but I don't know if there's any like palpable excitement. Is that just this delayed, long, drawn out Super Bowl week where, or two weeks where nobody's even there in person? So you're not even getting that sort of content that you're seeing what's going on. It seems pretty boring. Like honestly, if we just fast forwarded through the last week and a half, I don't think I've learned anything over the last week and a half what I need to know going into this Sunday. Yeah, it's weird. As you mentioned, it doesn't feel as if there's the same excitement that we have most years, although this is a really good matchup. Maybe part right. of it is because we have seen these teams play already. They played in week 12. So may- maybe that's part of it. But yeah, I think a big part of it is that you don't have all of these people there doing their podcast on Radio Row. You don't have sort of like the unveiling of all of the teams showing up and then interviewing with everyone. So it's just, it's a little bit different. Yeah, I think the hype isn't quite there, but I still think it's going to be a very good game once the day actually gets here. Yeah, you don't have the 50 people all crowding around Tom Brady's little little podium so they can ask him some question about avocados or something. So we don't we don't have that. We don't have those, yes. those hardball those hardball questions this year. Um what we do have is a little bit of news though, and this is early. I mean, trades cannot be consummated until the um the start of the league year, but we have a trade that's been agreed upon for Matthew Stafford. That's the big trade. Matthew Stafford going from the Lions to the Rams for their 2022 and 2023 first-round picks, a third-round pick, and Jared Goff, former number one. So a swap of number one picks uh, and then a bunch of stuff thrown in there. So right off the top of your head, winner, loser, anything, what you got for me? Well, first, I just want to say I knew you were going to say consummated instead of completed. <laughs> I, I just I, I know that's where you were going. That's number one. Uh, number yeah. two, in terms of, of winners of thinking about this, like my my gut reaction was like, well, this is great for the Lions because they're already in rebuilding mode. Like Dan Campbell just looks like the rebuild type of coach. So good for oh, them. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Good not a them. rebuild contract, though. Like, that's what I was surprised yeah. by. Because I was thinking, okay, this, you know, when the Stafford news came out, I was like, okay, this makes sense. You're bringing in Dan Campbell. You know, he's going to be able to rah-rah through uh, just a really god-awful, like, grinded-out season. Uh, but six-year contract, that's not bad. Okay, yeah, that's that's true. They they have to deal with the, the contract situation. Uh, eventually, they're going to hope to trade him for for some pick, just like the Rams did with Goff with, with that contract. But, I mean, yeah. it, this feels like the type of situation where they get their picks, they get yeah. a quarterback, and two years from now, the Campbell era is going to be over. Uh, Goff is going to be gone, and they're going to have a top three pick with which they draft a, a future quarterback, something like that. But at least they got some value out of Matt Stafford with the trade. And for the Rams, I mean, okay, I get it. Goff probably wasn't the guy. This feels like compounding mistakes on mistakes. Like the real yeah. mistake was giving Goff the – well, I mean, I guess we could say the real mistake was drafting him number one. But, you know, it's hard to evaluate quarterbacks. If you have the number one pick, you take your shot at the best quarterback who's there if you need one. So whatever. I don't I don't fault them too much for that. The big thing is they gave him the, the contract. Uh, and then now they're just making another mistake by uh, trading away everything that they can to get a guy who is an upgrade – over Goff, but I don't know if he's enough of an upgrade to make that big of a difference. This feels like a very short-sighted, short-term move by two guys who might not even be in the organization in two years. So, you know, it's like for them professionally, what do they have to lose? If it works out great for them, if it doesn't work out, they'll still be able to find jobs because that's just how the league is. But uh, I think it's a a bad move long-term for the Rams. Now, is Les Snead, uh, GM of the Rams, is he just committed to the bit at this point? Like he's, he just <laughs> yeah. said, I'm trading away picks for golf, and then a first for Brandon Cooks was in there. Um, was it a first for Marcus Peters? It was like a, maybe a second for Marcus Peters. I don't remember two, what it was. I think two for – oh, no, no, no. I was thinking of, of Ramsey, but yes, yes. Uh, I think it was a second for Peters. Yeah, so so Peters is a second, Jalen Ramsey um, – I'm trying to think if they have anyone else in there. I think it's about it. But anyway, it's, it's, it's a lot, right? Um, we were talking about 2017 through 2023, well, no first-round picks. And the picks that they had to trade away, I believe, to get Goff, right? Didn't they have to move up? Yeah, to yeah, get yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that, that's included in that because they got right. him in 2016. So starting in right. 2017, they haven't had any first-round picks. Now, the, 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 the take that comes out here, and this is a take that happens – it's been going back as far as time, probably. But definitely the Cleo Mac, I think it was when it brought to the forefront this idea of the picks are not a player, right? So if you have a good player, why would you take a good, solid player versus the quote-unquote mystery box where you don't know what you're getting? It's, it's a, it might be a good player. It might be a poor player. And that's the rationale for a lot of this. And supposedly there were some player personnel people who were saying, this is advanced thinking by Snead, essentially, here. He said, you know, I'm going to take the guaranteed player. I'm not going to take the maybes that are coming through here. And then that's the way that I'm going to build my team, and it's a smart way of doing it in that fashion. What you say, Matthew Freeman? Uh, I, don't, I don't really buy it. And maybe part of it depends on where you are in the organizational cycle, how close you are to competing. Can you actually sort of identify – like the, the sure thing player, can you evaluate him properly and then know how it is that you are going to use him on your team? So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is how good are you actually at as sort of like gaming the draft and then evaluating the guys in college and thinking about how they fit into your system. 
I generally think it's better um, to go with the unsure thing uh, for most of these teams. Like I, I think they're further away than they think they are. So they need a little more luck to get there. And I think generally the idea of getting your one player uh, isn't going to do it. Like that one player almost certainly will still not be enough to get you a Super Bowl. So I would rather go with the unknown of what you get in the draft, especially if you're getting multiple shots at players in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I think there are the 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 big element that people are not paying attention to is the the salary cap, what you're paying yes. these guys, the cap hits yes. for these guys. So I don't mind as much when you're trading for guys who are already on their second contract and that's kind of locked in and it won't be immediately renegotiated. So Stafford falls into that bucket. Uh, I guess Stephon Diggs kind of falls in that bucket. Let's see if he gets renegotiated this offseason. Um, but the other trade, like the trade for Ramsey, let's say, the Tunsil trade that's happened before this, the soon-to-be Jamal Adams trade, you know, these guys are getting traded for multiple picks and they're setting the market at their position for whatever contract that they're going to get moving forward because they they didn't get the money. They weren't going to get the money they wanted from where they were coming from most of the time. I mean, most of the time, sometimes there can be a real blow up with the team and a guy really wants to leave despite the fact that the team is doing everything in its power to keep that player. But that's I'd say that's a little bit rare. Normally, there is a disconnect on how much you want to be paid. So you're not it's not a free agency move but it's kind of somewhere between an extension and free agency right where the the best best the best of the best players are going to extend with their own team so you're losing that right also when you don't draft a player you're losing this ability to extend extend him early you're investing the draft capital you're your sunk cost is in there. So you're so you're so sunk in on these guys that you have to resign them. And often it's at a, it's at a huge amount and at a premium contract. So all those things come together where you look at the Rams cap. Uh, I think it's next season. Their top six or seven players are going to account for like 140 million of the 180 million cap. It's insane what, what's going what's going on there. And I mean, I, I give Snee some credit for the fact that he's so deep. There really probably isn't a way to dig out without losing his job. So he's just pushing it forward here, right? Because that 2023 pick probably isn't really going to do anything until 2024. So he's buying himself like four years in the future of just pushing forward those assets. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the only way is through. Uh, but it, <laughs> it's a situation where it puts a ton of pressure on everyone else in the organization to find a lot of great players, a lot of values later in the draft or uh, in free agency to be able to find like retread uh, veterans that no other team wants. And then hopefully they actually work in your system. But yeah, it just means you're incredibly top heavy and it's a really fragile way to build your team. Yeah, I mean, normally, so some some research that I've done on it and just anecdotally, the the mid-range free agents are sometimes where you can find the most value because when you have teams that do this top-heavy stuff, then they have to fill out the roster. Like, like you could always fill out the roster, but you're just going to fill it out with a bunch of uh, minimum salary type of guys, really low, low-end type of guys. So there's a lot of demand actually for 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 like poor players that you can get for a minimum salary so getting the best of those guys is very difficult there's a lot of demand for the top guys and then the middle range can kind of fall through the cracks sometimes you look at what the buffalo bills did i think in particular i mean they they got lucky with a lot of these free agents but they signed you know cole beasley and john brown and they signed uh i think they signed daryl williams as a tackle who did really well they signed some players on on defense i mean i guess norman hasn't been so great but they signed their their their, their safety combination um Hyde and Poyer have been really good. Those are all free agents that they signed in that kind of yeah. mid mid range. And normally you can't build a team that way, but you you definitely cannot build a team that way if you're sucking up, you know, 80% of your salary cap on those top players and 
The Rams, I mean, they were healthy last year until that playoff game, right? What if one of these years, Jalen Ramsey's out for half the season, Aaron Donald's out for half the season, Matthew Stafford's out for half the season. They could be giving away some pretty valuable draft picks as part of this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost guaranteed that they are not going to be as healthy this next year right. as they were in 2020. It's, yeah, as you just mentioned, they, they had very good luck in that regard. So yeah, they are, they are setting themselves up to be giving away a very premium pick. And okay. So for the Lions side, we, I think I agree that like one of the things I liked about it. And I, I wrote about this, this idea that the risk that they're taking on in this is disproportionate, right? So if you're, if the, let's say the assumed cost and I assume the assumed cost in the Rams mind is we're giving away the 25th pick, let's say for the next two years, maybe they think it's even going to be higher 28th pick or something like that so they're saying we're giving away that for the next two years we're giving away a quarterback who a lot of people think you have to pay someone to take him right so when the lions are taking all this in if 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 the worst case scenario happens for them and the rams win the super bowl the next two years and jared goff is completely worthless and they have to cut him it's like they're not they're not tied that much to golf. It, right. it stinks, but you have to cut them. You you go from twenty five to thirty twenty five or twenty seven, whatever you're you're hoping for, to thirty two. That's negligible, honestly. But if things go the other way, and they get the number ten pick, that is a massive move in one direction. If if golf ends up being good by some <laughs> some some weird scenario, Let, let's say they draft a guy this year, they put golf in there, and he has like an Alex Smith type of season probably unlikely without Tyree Kill and all that help there. But um, but let's say he has something where they can deal him in a year for a third-round pick or, or something like that, or even a second-round pick. I mean, who knows? Goff might have gotten like a first-round pick if he had been traded last offseason versus this offseason. There's just a lot of upside there and not that much downside for the for the Lions. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. There is a situation in which Goff could have a good season and the Rams could totally suck. Like that would just be the best of everything for the Detroit Lions. But uh, yeah, I I think you're right. There's uh, asymmetric risk uh, and reward in all of this for the Lions. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF annual Edge subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. And what one last thing though about golf that this is this is this is going pure tank right so this is like I'm putting on my 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 my, my army uniform I'm getting in the tank here pure tankers would say you know what you don't even want that potential competent quarterback play right if you're really just trying to tank although maybe this is the season to try to get a quarterback you got the number seven pick you can use a future first let's say to, to move up or something like that but if it's not and you're and, and you don't take a quarterback and you're maybe looking to get in position next year could golf be not great but mediocre enough to take you out of the running for being able to get the quarterback that you need and thereby destroy the entire thing of being able to move on and get and get a quarterback and get this franchise back on track. Yeah, that that's possible. And it one thing that they could do and this is something that I'm uh you know kind of having to dig through as I'm doing my uh my mock draft, my first mock for uh the 2021 <laughs> NFL draft. Do they still take 1.0? 1.0. 
at one point oh. Do they still many take people a are at like five point four or something now? So yeah, you're way behind. So, these, so you haven't taken people. a quarterback. These people are obscene. So uh, originally before the trade, I had them taking a quarterback at number seven. Do they still take a quarterback at number seven and just let him sit, you know, like develop for a year behind Jared Goff? I think that's still an option of something they might do because this is actually a pretty decent quarterback class. So I, I don't know how the addition of Goff here impacts what they do in the draft. Originally, I thought like, okay, no, no way do they take a quarterback, but they actually still might. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that they have uh, Brad Holmes, who's their new GM, who's from the Rams, that maybe he has a positive opinion. I think he was there when Goff was was drafted, um, so maybe there is something there. And, and, and if you look at the the trades that they passed up, I don't think they're better for the Lions because, like, okay, for, for instance, supposedly Carolina had their pick, their first round pick, and a later pick. So their first round pick was eight. I want to say. Um, yes eight so eight by itself according to if you look at like trade value charts and stuff is close to being worth like a couple of future first round picks because of the heavy heavy discounts there so they weren't necessarily taking the best deal so did they think that golf wasn't a like like wasn't a, a negative as part of this trade maybe i think part of it is also there's the the optionality that they get like if they get golf and they get the future first there's the, they have different avenues. One avenue is that like golf is actually good and they can continue to move forward with him. If he's not good, then fine. They're sort of rebuilding for the future. And then they can do that with the other first round picks that will be coming in at that point. So I, I think it enables them kind of to, to have multiple avenues to what their future could be. Whereas if they trade Stafford for the number eight now, like it's immediately now signaling a rebuild. Okay, now th- this is probably I probably should have touched on this earlier as part of the trade value discussion, but uh Matthew Stafford, like how good is Matthew Stafford because he is some he was number 1 pick, we know that. He threw it like a billion times in a 5 or 6 year stretch earlier in the year. That's why he has these ungodly numbers that everyone points to. Um, in the rare occasion that's every offseason, someone wants to say, hey, Matthew Stafford should go to the, the Hall, of, Hall of Fame for some reason. Uh, they they want to throw it out there despite the, the 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 lack of efficiency. But he has the tools. People love him. Tape watchers love him. He can make all the throws. He's the leader of the, if this was Patrick Mahomes, what would the media be saying about him from, yeah. <laughs> from, from, yeah. from the fandom? He's the number one guy there. So did you buy that he's a lot better than, than who he's been? Because I think some people say, hey, he's had a bad defense. That's why his team hasn't won. But for, from the, the analytics people are not pointing at him and saying he's mediocre or he's above average but not great because he doesn't win games. They're saying that because he's not efficient throwing the football, which the defense, I mean, doesn't matter that much how good the defense is. Like, did it hurt Drew Brees when he had a god off of defense? Did it hurt Patrick Mahomes in 2018 when he had a god off of defense? Does it, hurt, does it hurt all these guys? Not really. So... Like, what's the excuse for a 10-year, 11-year career, half of your career with Calvin Johnson, 40% of your career with Calvin Johnson, another 40% with Golden Tate, you know, Marvin Jones, whatever you want to say about him, he's been in there. He hasn't been totally devoid of talent. The offensive line is actually ranked in the in the 10 to 15 sort of range. So he hasn't a bad offensive line either from pass blocking. What, what, are you, what are you going with as far as should we be buying him as a – guy who has like a like a top seven type of uh outcome potential here 
I think it's a real projection to think that he could be top seven. If he gets there, I think a lot of it will have to do with uh, a little bit of luck and then some something with the marriage of scheme and arm strength or something like that, where it just it kind He's got of got arm strength. It kind of <laughs> fits, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that that's a projection, and I don't I won't, don't feel I don't feel comfortable comfortable making that projection based on what we've seen out of him through his career. And that's not to take anything away from him. I think he's a clear upgrade over Goff, but that doesn't really say much. And as you as you said. Yeah, we have seen Stafford play with some very talented wide receivers. Like, I don't know if you even mentioned Babytron in there, but it's not as if... Yeah, exactly. Kenny Dolliday for the last couple yeah, of years. It's, yeah. it's not as if we've seen Stafford playing with a whole bunch of schlubs. Part of the problem has maybe been uh, the scheme and the offensive coordinators that he's had there, but it is kind of hard to disentangle uh, Stafford from the coordinators that he's had. So maybe there's some hope there because like, I don't think Daryl Bevel is all that great. I don't think Jim Bob Cooter was all that great of an offensive coordinator. Maybe Stafford has had great wide receivers, but he hasn't really had a a good supporting infrastructure around him. And maybe with the, you know, like genius of, of Sean McVay, somehow things work out for him. I think that's the only way it happens. I think it's likelier than not that he's slightly better than what we've seen in Detroit, but not significantly better. And so that would make him, you know, if we're thinking from a fantasy perspective, you know, maybe a low end QB one, but you know, on that QB one, QB two borderline, but I don't think much better than that. I think there's some possibility with Stafford that he could be like low key coach killer in a way because of the same reason that everyone thinks he's better than he is. So I I agree. He hasn't had necessarily the best offensive coaches, but I mean, what great like coordinators are there who who are just like around for a very long time who don't eventually become a head coach or something something like that? Finally, the 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out with 150 player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April when your team is on the clock. You can get it with an Edge or Elite subscription. Use promo code SuperBowl25 and get 25% off those subscriptions. And that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription, which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code Super Bowl 25. I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, you, you, were, you were there when, even what is it, um, is it Linehan or Linehan? I always say it incorrectly. Is it Linehan? Linehan, Linehan? Linehan. So, yeah, so, yeah, so Linehan was there. Um, he went to Dallas and he had like moderate success there initially before things, things kind of fell apart. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, I tell you, there was Cooter love. Okay. Was. <laughs> On these streets. Yes. With, because they, they, they fixed Stafford by, by, by uh, dialing it in and just having him throw a bunch of short passes. That's what Cooter did. That was Cooter time. Uh, was throwing a bunch of, a bunch of short passes all over the place rather than throwing these deep bombs to, uh, to, uh, Calvin Johnson. And then Bevel. People loved Daryl Bevel last year. They were like, this is amazing. Stafford, this is the perfect system for him, this and that. And then he comes back this year and he stinks. And, and Bevel's probably, you know, we'll see. You know, he's out, right? So he's kind of low-key, like, up and down. And then every single time he's up, people are like, this coach has finally unlocked this great player. But he might just be, like, getting lucky. And then every single time he's down, they're like, oh, this coach stinks. we got to fire him. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's possible. Um, it, it feels a little Romo-esque 
in terms of the way that he could uh, sort of don't vacillate. Don't like that, but yeah. yeah, I know it, it, it is bad <laughs> for me to say that, but uh, I was just thinking really of, of Linehan. But uh, right. yeah, it's it's a situation with with Stafford where, like, you might be right. He might be a guy who's just very inconsistent, and so when he's great. Uh, it makes it seem as if there's something really going on with the coaching staff and how it is that they're using him. And when he's bad, it just makes it seem as if the coaching staff has no idea what it's doing. Yeah. Can he, can coach killer Matt Stafford take down Sean McVay? That will be the question because, um, I mean, look at the last four years for the Rams, Super Bowl appearance. Um, what, what happened after that? Uh, they actually well, let's, let's go back before that. Wild card was that before that? Wild card Super Bowl nine and seven would have made the playoffs under under the new the new um, yeah. format, and then divisional round. I mean, you know, are, are the, are the next four years going to look that good? I mean, you, you have to you'd have to take no right if you're if you're no. just betting blindly on that. So there's some possibility for for a little for a little friction in a couple of years if they haven't made a trip like let's say at least to the divisional round. Yeah, it, it's weird that for a guy who has had the success he has had through four seasons, never had a losing campaign, been to the Super Bowl, um, McVay's job does not seem all that secure, which sounds really weird. But well, I, mean, I mean, Snead will probably go first, I, I think, if there's something that's going to happen there. Maybe. I could see them both going at the same time. Like when, yeah. when things fall apart, they can fall apart really quickly. Uh, and it might get at the point where it's just like, Hey, you guys are both dead. <laughs> Wouldn't that be, uh, uh, funny if like every person who's ever been briefed on by Sean McVay had a job and Sean McVay himself did not have a, did not, did not have a coaching job. Well, hey, <laughs> it's, like... it's nice to have friends. He could end up working for one of them. <laughs> that's, that's true. But that would just be, that'd be weird. That would be like the, the, the King having to, to stoop down to that level, but yeah, well, we'll see what going forward. So we, we, we just, we just wasted a solid 20 something minutes here on Stafford before getting to the, to the, to the meat of the discussion here. And let's talk props. So it's Super Bowl time. It's prop time. Uh, let's start, start high level at first. I know we had a props episode before, so you revealed a lot of nuggets on that one. Anyone wants to go back through the archives, they can see Matt giving us all the tips on, on just kind of a general strategy perspective, but the Super Bowl is different, right? Uh, on a normal week, in a normal game, the main headline players, you're going to get some some stuff on them, but you're not going to get the third wide receiver. You're not going to get Pringle, Pringle time, on yeah. Pringle action, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I have a feeling. Tell me you have something on Pringle for me. Uh, not, not yet. I'm kind of waiting a little bit to see what happens with Sammy Watkins and, uh, Demarcus okay, Robinson. Yeah. but uh, yeah, sense. I mean, he Pringles on the radar. Okay. Pringles. Yeah. So, so you're gonna have stuff like that. You have these ridiculous ones like the national anthem, um, coin flip, that sort of stuff. You have less ridiculous ones, but I think they're very interesting of, you know, who scores first in a lot of the, a lot of these different situations. So let's, let's talk like general strategy. When you're looking at, this cheesecake factory menu of props for, for the Super Bowl. What, what are you flipping to a particular section first? Are you looking overall? Do you have an idea for something, and then you're going to go because certain props can all hit the same idea, right? Like if you're saying, "I think this is going to happen offensively," there are probably like six different ways you can play that. So, and then and then looking to see which one is actually EV based upon that idea. What's the ideation process here? Okay, so big picture process just big picture ideas first 
uh, in general, and we've talked about this, but the under tends to be the sharper side. You know, I think mm-hmm. just sort of like psychologically and like physically, like the little dopamine rush that you get when your guy catches a ball, right? You don't get that if you're betting the under and your guy doesn't catch the ball. There's just an absence of anything the whole game. So generally people like to bet overs. That's especially the case for the Super Bowl. So the under tends to be the sharper side. Betting on no, similarly, betting on no, uh, that tends to be the sharper side. Even if you have to lay heavy juice, uh, I think generally that still tends to be the sharper side. So something like betting no, but you have to bet minus a thousand, you know, like, so is there going to be a safety in this game or something like that? Even if you have to bet heavy juice, there still tends to be value on many of those bets. Uh, It's not as early uh, as, you know, like it's not early, like, Hey, I'm betting this last week, but it's still relatively early in the process. Uh, And so I think generally it's best to bet early uh, because that gives you the opportunity of hitting some lines that are a little bit softer and coming in before a lot of the public comes in and moves lines. Uh, and betting early gives you the opportunity to end up hitting some middles later uh, if a line moves enough to where there's you know like a 10-yard gap. Uh, and obviously, bet multiple books uh, if you have that opportunity because, you know, in a line, like a side, a total, you know, three, three and a half, like all books are roughly going to be in that range. But for uh, a quarterback prop, like there might be significant difference book to book with, you know, like Mahomes at one book, it might be 320 in another book, it's 330 for his passing yardage. So there is significant diversity between the different books. So you should be sure to check that out. Um, okay, with the process. Wait, wait, let me, let me get one, one question. Yes. So it's about the timing, because I've I've heard that, there can be this kind of wave cycle to it where there might be some softness up front, then it sharpens up, uh, presumably sharper bettors are the ones who are betting up front, then it may soften again as the public money comes in. So you're shaking your head. So let's, okay, let's assume that that's the case. Yeah. Now, does that, now, in my head, when you're saying like, you know, public money means overs are overpriced. So does does that also mean that maybe you, you, you would bet more overs early and then more unders later after the public has moved things? Or are those two things not core, not connected necessarily? They're, they're not as connected. And I should say, even then, I still feel early on that a lot of the lines are too high. And it's just maybe bookmakers just kind of setting it anticipatorily, knowing like, okay, this is a high scoring game to very public teams, people are going to come in and they're just going to hammer the overs. And so they're setting the lines high. For instance, uh, Daryl Williams, and I would sort of love to hear maybe where you had this projected Daryl Williams, uh, the, the mentor, exactly. Uh, 41 and a half was his rushing yardage total uh, when the line opened, which just felt obscenely high for a number of reasons. One tough matchup going against the Buccaneers. Uh, and then two, I mean, that's kind of assuming that he's the lead back and not in a timeshare or the number two back behind Clyde Edwards Alaire. Uh, and so that line, uh, I bet it immediately when I saw it at 41 and a half, that line has actually moved down to 30 and a half at most books and is actually at 28 and a half at one book at points bet. And so like, I mean, I'm considering like grabbing 28 and a half the over and just hoping he hits that middle. Like that's a massive range. But uh, I think in general, we still see lines that open too high. Sharps do come in and very quickly bet it down. And it's because in their process, they either do a couple of things. One, 
when it's championship uh, conference championship weekend, they're just already creating projections for all four possible matchups, or they just create their projections very quickly uh, once they really have a strong sense. But I had my projections ready to go Sunday night, uh, you know, Monday morning at the latest with kind of ironing things out so that whenever lines opened, I would be able to bet them. So you're right. There is this process of lines open a little bit soft. Uh, Betters come in who have their, their projections ready to go. They come in and immediately hammer all of the lines that are out of place whenever they can. But the thing is, you still have sort of the basic props that are released very early on. And then it's like every day or every two days, books continue to release more props. So it's sort of like this cascading effect where every day or two, there are new props for the sharper betters to come in and hit. And then eventually more of the public betters come in and then start to uh, inflate lines once again. So there, there is sort of like this never ending process of lines being released, lines being bet down and then lines being bet back up. Yeah. I mean, for, as far as the, the mentor is concerned, I mean, I think I've seen this with a, in a few different places. I mean, maybe the, the simplest way they're doing it up front is just saying like what happened last game, right. <laughs> or what happened right. a, a yeah. couple of games before. And it's a little bit too much reliance upon that um, as opposed to, the longer season trends, and, and that's how it'll come together. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Now, when you're saying these are released kind of sequentially, is it like the, the, the starting players first and then the secondary players and then the tertiary players? Or are we talking about like the player props first and then the who's going to score a touchdown first and then the, uh, you know, uh, and whatever going forward? It's, it's both. So they'll, okay. they'll release the props for the big guys first for the main kind of standard props that you see for every game. And then they start to build it out from there. So then they will release uh, the props for the tertiary guys, the Byron Pringles. And then they will also start to build out from there first to score a touchdown. And then they'll even start to really diversify with, you know, rushing props for the first half or the first quarter or something like that. So there are really a lot of ways in which uh, pretty quickly the market expands. Okay. Well, let's let's get into some specifics here and then I could probably yeah. um parse out a little bit more of what's what's going on here. So, let's start with your basic yardage stuff for for players. Now, this is presumably this would be the um the least soft, some hardest does not sound right, but the least soft uh of, of the No, no hard. Of, you say yeah. hard, it's fine. There there yeah, there the so the hardest here is that do you think that is that is the case for for these? Or are there any of the yardage ones on big name players that you like? I mean, the ones that people are talking about. Maybe we should talk about the ones that that, that at least I've heard. I'm only sure. this is like yeah. this is this may be off, but like a lot of people are intrigued with Travis Kelsey because the number is very is pretty high. 
Um, I don't know where it is, but I think it's somewhere in the 95 sort of range at a lot of different places, which seems just like monstrous for an individual player. But of course he has been that guy this year. Um, and he was, I don't think he hit that in their first game. I think because I think he, I think he got eight catches for like 80 something yards though in their first game. Um, so he's not that far off from it, but that's been the MO for them going forward when they're attacking these defenses that are sitting back and Tampa Bay did sit back somewhat, at least they didn't blitz in that first game. So what about, do you, do you have an opinion on Kelsey or is there another player you think is really in the front of people's minds or is, or is more controversial? Yeah, you're about to kick me off of the show because I'm I'm a donkey <laughs> on Travis Kelsey right here. I know that a lot of sharp people are taking the unders on Kelsey, and I should just say yeah. like I I get it, but um I can't do it. I'm I'm taking I'm taking the overs, and I just again okay. I I feel like uh do you have a, so, do you have a, do you have a so price naive. point on that? What's the yeah. what's the tipping point on that for you? Okay. Well, I, I mean, just I'll say, I feel so naive taking yeah. overs on big name guys. I yeah. I bet the over on Kelsey seven and a half receptions. I wouldn't go over eight and a half. If it's eight, like that's, you know, that's roughly where it's projected. I think that's about a push, but you know, just to, to put this in context, you know, Kelsey wasn't getting that much volume early in the year, but since week eight, So we have a 10 game sample here since week eight. He's basically been targeted as if he's like Devontae Adams, as if he's like the number one receiver in the league. And I I know that sounds ridiculous, but literally in all of those games, except for one, he has 10 plus targets. Like that's just like, they're treating him as if he is a true number one receiver. And uh, I think you just kind of have to project him as such right? Last week, he had 15 targets. The week before that, 10. The week before that, 13. You know, like it's it's getting to the point where we should just expect Travis Kelsey to be in the 90s on a fairly regular basis. Because in the past 10 games, he's gone over 107 of them, right? And his, his, uh, his prop yardage over for the season in 17 games is 12 and 5. So the market has still been pretty slow, on adapting to Travis Kelsey as a guy who's not a tight end, even though he's a tight end in name, but really a wide receiver by volume and usage. So I'm over Kelsey seven and a half receptions and over Kelsey 94 and a half yards. And I feel like I'm making a massive mistake when I do it. Cause I just, I know it's like, I know it's fishy. I know it's what everyone else is going like the, the newbie betters. That's what they're going to come in and do. But this is one side where I actually think it makes sense. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, even that the Tampa Bay game that we're talking about, I mean, Tyreek Hill, those long catches, those are also killers for the stats of the other receivers, right? Like if yeah. he catches a 60-yard touchdown or if he catches a um, a slant like he did last week and takes it for 75 yards, that, that hurts guys like tra- Travis Kelsey. But Kelsey's still been producing extremely well d- despite all of that. And it does seem like in the second half of the year, uh, although there have been some some closer games that especially the last few games the chiefs have really figured out this the the defenses when the when the de- when the defenses are trying to play play deep against them and not let them score and mahomes has really just turned it on to i'm just going to take what you're giving me uh, if you looked at his ngs uh pass chart for last week it, it was kind of gross for patrick mahomes but they're all completion so it was okay but they were really like in this 5 to 6 yard range over and over and over again so of course that's that's kelsey town there so so that that, that sounds good yeah uh, and, and anyone... one and one more thing on on kelsey um yeah. you know as as good as the the buccaneers defense is i really do think it's probably weakest against tight ends uh and so that's just like one more thing for kelsey not only does he have great volume coming his way? But it, I think it's also a pretty decent matchup for him too. 
Yeah, and they could they could be scared out of their minds about what Tyreek did to them last time. Also, yeah. that's a narrative. I'm going down narrative street on yeah. that one. I know it's not necessarily good, but um, okay. So who, who else are we looking at? Okay, well, I'm going to give you my other really donkey bet, and and that's Tyreek over 91 and a half yards. <laughs> And and a lot of it, so then like, does this have to go with Patrick Mahomes then like like would you rather play both of them individually over than play Patrick Mahomes over? Well, I mean Patrick Mahomes, his number right now is anywhere from I think three hundred and twenty five and a half to three hundred and twenty nine and a half, and mm-hmm. like that is just the highest line that I think I've ever seen for okay. a, a quarterback. Um, so it's just it it's up there, and I think like it's roughly correct. So I don't see a lot of value there. I just see a lot of value in terms of like the target concentration being very skewed towards Hill and Kelsey. And then everyone else, I would be fine betting unders on like Watkins, Pringle, Hardman, uh, Robinson for sure if he plays. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that guy's getting no targets coming his way. They won't catch him necessarily either. (laughs) That's true. So, I mean, but so it it has more to do with just the sheer target volume I think Hill and uh, and Kelsey are going to get. And, you know, if we kind of look in a, a bigger picture sense, at um at what Hill has done in in similar spots in the Super Bowl last year he had 16 targets and 105 yards in the two playoff games this year collectively 21 targets 282 yards and of course I mean I don't need to say but against the Bucks in week 12 he just decimated them 15 targets for a career best 13 receptions, 269 yards. I mean, this just feels like uh, in terms of the usage that he's going to get, the the sheer targets that are coming his way, and then also the matchup, I don't think the Bucs have a cornerback who can stay with him. They have, like, Jamel Dean is athletic, but I still don't think he has the cover skills. Uh, Hill lines up all over the formation, so he's going to get his shot against all of these different guys. Uh, Sean Murphy bunting in the slot, I think, is probably the most vulnerable of the three starting cornerbacks, and Hill plays most of his snaps in the slot, so that's a good matchup for him. And then if he gets to match up against uh, Carlton Davis, which I don't think is going to happen that often, I think the Bucs are going to do every everything in their power to keep Carlton Davis away from Tyreek Hill. Like I think Davis is still traumatized from what Hill did to him in just like a quarter of football. But I mean, I just don't think that they have the type of cornerback who can stick with Hill. So that's honestly where this is coming from, from like a sort of like X's and O's. Like I pretend like I know what I'm talking about film perspective, but even just from a volume perspective of the number of targets, I think that are coming Hill's way. uh, I like his chances of going over. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was crazy last week. I don't know if I'd ever seen something like this where Hill, especially in the second half of the game, if my if my memory is correct, or the or the mid mid part of the game, where he he was I, I, a lot of times it was Tre'Davious White was on it, but sometimes it was some others. He was running, let's say seven yards downfield, turning around, and Patrick Mahomes would throw him the ball. He would catch it, and there still wouldn't be someone near him because they were so far off of him. I mean, it, it was like it was like a play where you throw it out to him immediately at the line of scrimmage, except for he was like six yards downfield, seven <laughs> yards downfield. It was insane. They were just they were so far off of him. And um, yeah, if something like that happens again, it's just picking up those you know, it's just picking up those dimes. You know, just just pure. It's like pure. It's like an arbitrage fund or something. There, you're just you're just picking up these yards over and over and over again. And yeah, I could definitely see the volume there. And then and then you. Bring break one every now and again so so sounds good for for, for hill um so what, what l- 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 let's go to your next one here and then i can i can kind of question off of that okay so um well daryl williams unders talked about right. him before yeah. um 
I'm a little bit interested in um, in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and their unders here because the Chiefs, like, I don't think they have, you know, like, quote unquote, good cornerbacks. Like, they don't have elite level cornerbacks, but their scheme is built in such a way to where they limit the big play on the perimeter and down the field. And that, you know, so you saw that in the numbers overall in the regular season, they allowed the fewest receptions to opposing wide receivers and the second fewest receiving yards. You know, they just sort of funnel a lot of aerial production towards running backs and towards tight ends. Uh, And so even though Mike Evans had uh, two touchdowns, in week 12 against the Bucks, he didn't really have all that great of a game. He had nine targets for just 50 yards. Uh, I'm looking under Mike Evans, 63 and a half yards receiving. And I'm also looking under Chris Godwin, 77 and a half yards receiving. Um, I just think that with their scheme, they're going to do everything that they can to take away the wide receivers and force Brady to look more towards his running backs and tight ends. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Now Brady was, I mean, I wouldn't say surprisingly aggressive, but he's been pretty aggressive this year generally. And then in that Green Bay game, I mean, you saw that, right? I mean, Evans Evans was open on that first drive where he was hitting him, but still he was willing to go over the top to him. He threw up... uh, you know, not in, not a 50-50 ball, more like a 20-80 ball to Chris Godwin on that on that one play down the middle of the field that he tipped to himself and he able he was able to make the catch on. So he has been aggressive going out to those guys. So it'll be interesting to see whether he's willing to let them make a play, even if there is tight coverage, because it's kind of where Evans lives at least. Yeah, he is. The one thing I would say is like the two touchdowns, like the um the one to Mike Evans and then the one to uh, Scotty Miller uh, right before halftime. Like both of those came against Kevin King who is just an yeah. atrocity in coverage. Like the, the, the chiefs are a little bit different in terms of how they're built. They don't have like Char- Charvarius Ward is not great, but he's not the liability that King is like the, the chiefs are buttoned up pretty well in their secondary. So I think it will be harder for Brady to get a lot of those like chunk plays through aggression down the field. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked by how well that they seem to cover last week against the Bills, but sometimes you don't really know. Is it is it great coverage, or I think what their real specialty is, and what um, Spags his specialty is, is maybe just confusing the quarterback a little bit, and then if you That's have, say, if it, if yeah. it takes you an extra, you know, quarter of a second to to to, to process what you're going to do, then. That's really the difference in a lot of these plays is whether you can stick on a on a guy or not at cornerback. So that, that, that that's definitely interesting. So is this? Do you have like a macro view of the Chiefs versus the the Bucks? Then now that we've gone everything except for the mentor, you're going over for the for the Chiefs, and then of course maybe going uh, going under on the mentor is probably good for the Chiefs. Also, yeah, as, yeah. Far as, as far as how well they're going to play. So this sounds like do you prefer the Chiefs generally in this? In this, are you concerned about the offensive line? Let's, let's talk about that's going to be the big talking point. That's a good question. And you know, yeah. it's it's you know us numbers guys, it's going to be really tough to, to figure out. So how, what's the, what's the level of concern there? Um, if a three and a half, something yeah. like that. Like I should be concerned about it. But at the same time, you know, part of me is just like, uh, it's Andy Reid and he's got two weeks. He'll, he'll figure it out. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes, like he's a good quarterback. They'll figure out a way to deal with the pressure. And, you know, I know he has the toe injury. Uh, and and also that the toe injury, I should mention, I am betting under 19 and a half yards rushing for Mahomes in part because of the toe injury. I don't think he's going to be as desirous to take off out of the pocket. But uh, I do think that he will still be mobile enough within the pocket to where uh, the offensive line injuries aren't a big deal. But it is something to keep in mind. Like it is, 
if if the Bucks win, I do think uh, an avenue there is that their defensive line, which is good, is just able to direct uh, an offensive line that has very little continuity at this point. So it's it's something that I'm cognizant of, but hasn't really impacted the way that I've bet it. Uh, I'm I'm certainly on the Chiefs at minus three, minus three and a half. Um, I'm kind of in the minority in uh, at guys at the action network in terms of the way that I'm leaning on this. Like, I think this number should be closer to like five and a half, but that just feels entirely aggressive. But a lot of it is that I just don't think uh, that Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are going to be able to rely on their wide receivers to the extent that they have in previous games. And that is the strength of their offense. So if they end up attacking with their running backs and with their tight ends, I think that's a real tactical win for the chiefs. Uh, and so I, I do think that the chiefs are probably the side I like here. Um, and I also think like, uh, it's not a big position, but uh, I'm on the under here. Like it opened at 57 and a half. Uh, I wish I had bet it then. I bet it at 57. It's now at 56, 56 and a half at most books. Maybe that will end up being bet back up uh, when public betters come in closer to the Super Bowl. But uh, I think this should be closer to 55. And what's the rationale there? That the Chiefs defense is better than people think? or it's? I mean, I, I could try to come up with some sort of rationale, but it's just a number. It's just, it's just a, like in terms of like what, like I, I put numbers into my spreadsheets and that's kind of the number yeah. that, that it gives me. 57 and a half where it opened. Like that's the highest yeah. over under in Super Bowl history. That's just a really high number. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we saw, I'm trying to think of the number that we saw 27 to 24 was what we saw in week 12. Not that that's like a, an all telling number or anything like that, but we've already seen these two teams combined to go under 57 pretty easily. Uh, 55 and a half was just kind of where I had it. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that, but honestly, like, I don't feel too comfortable with it. I feel much better about chiefs minus three than I do about my, my lean towards the under. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but in, in that game, I think I think Brady got intercepted twice on the Chiefs side of the field. Um yeah. I think the Chiefs kicked a field goal on the one yard line on the first drive of the game. <laughs> Just I mean, I'll tell you, Reed will do something like this, yeah. even in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I know people think that he's aggressive. I, I I don't know about that. And um Mahomes got strip sacked on the eight yard line on first and goal also. So that they, there could have been some more points. Yes. There. Um, I, I guess I would say with and which makes sense because there was such a like explosion from Tyreek Hill in, in that type of game. Yeah, I was I mean, I wasn't that surprised, but I was a little bit surprised by the fact that it was three, three and a half, because in my mind, I'm always thinking if we if we if we knew these two teams were going to play each other before we saw any games last week. Um, what would what would it have been? And I figured it would be right around where it is now. And then you had the Chiefs just go out there and completely destroy uh the bills and then you had the the bucks not really play that well and kind of squirm their way through to victory so maybe maybe that three number is just so it's like a tractor beam just sucking everything towards it yeah and so i think part of it is if they had said any lower like if they had said it at two and a half everyone would have just bet the chiefs so there's no way they do that if they said it at three and a half you know they give the public a little bit of room to come in and be like Tom Brady is an underdog. How can I not bet? So like there are lots of ways that this could go and they gave themselves some latitude by putting it at three and a half. But really like, as you said, the chiefs looked really good in the conference championship game. I didn't think that the bucks actually looked all that good uh, with Brady's interceptions. And, you know, 
you can sort of excuse some of those away, but I don't think that the Bucs looked all that good uh, against the Packers in the conference championship. And then if we look at week 12, I know that this was only a three point game based on the final score, but like, this was not a three point game. Like the, the chiefs dominated the Buccaneers in week 12 and, you know, in, in the first quarter, they were ahead 17 to zero, even in the fourth quarter, at one point, they were ahead by 17 points. Uh, I mean, they significantly outplayed the Buccaneers in week 12. And I think if we played that game out again, uh, and just had, you know, a little more randomness factored into it, uh, through like simulations, the chiefs would end up winning by a touchdown more often than they would win by a field goal. So I, I'm, I'm satisfied with, uh, chiefs minus three, minus three and a half. Yeah, I'm with you there. Okay, so what else do we have for maybe maybe we'll skew away from some of the traditional yardage, receptions, touchdowns, that sort of stuff as far as that over-unders on that. Yeah. What what, what do you got for – and do you have like a, a, a macro theory on how the game will play out for things like first touchdown or these other ones, which I think there might be more juice on those too, so I don't know if that's also a factor that you yeah, look at. Yeah, let's talk about that. So there is, of course, significant juice – on these multiplayer markets, like first touchdown uh, or MVP or something like this, and so for those, what's mar- the hold on these? Like how how much how much over one hundred percent are we on these? Like, like twenty five to thirty, like depending okay, on yeah. the book, like it it's massive. Yeah. So you just have to know, like one, either I'm doing this for fun, or like screw the hold. Uh, I, I have the right read on this guy and the rest of the market is skewed, but this one guy is undervalued, right? So, and that's a you know pretty arrogant perspective to have, but whatever, may, maybe you, you think that you're actually right on this. So I mean, maybe uh, I'll just say really quickly, I mean, people probably know, but just saying like, if you do the implied probabilities on yes. all the different players, then it adds up to more than a hundred percent. And that's how they're going to make you know, money, presumably if, if everyone was betting proportionally on it, right. Then, right. then yeah. that's the, that's the money that they would win. So uh, they would take in as, as the book. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the idea. If you add the implied probabilities all together for these guys, for this market, it comes out to like 125% or 130% or something like that. So obviously the market is heavily juiced. Uh, that said, you know, all, all that caveat there. Um, there are some guys who stand out to me um, I don't know why Leonard Fournette is just calling to me. Um, part uh, and I, I feel <laughs> Play so. Off dis- Lenny. Play I, off Lenny. I know I feel so disgusting saying that, but like the the Chiefs, they are very vulnerable not only against the run, and some of that is just the way that they sort of they build their scheme. Like they would rather be weak against the run and against short passes than deep, and both of those things play into Leonard Fournette. Uh, and you know, we know that at this point he is the preferred receiving back in Tampa Bay as ridiculous as that sounds. It's like, amazing to me that they do yeah. not have someone who can catch passes for Tom freaking Brady, but I know. go ahead, go ahead. I know. So anyway, I could see a game, uh, a sort of a, a game state, especially early on where we see a scenario like this, that defense is good. And it's actually able to put pressure on Mahomes and it creates something of a low scoring game or at least lower than lower scoring than we imagine. And in order to slow the game down and to keep the chiefs offense on the sideline and to attack the chiefs defense where it's most vulnerable, most vulnerable, we actually do see something like a Leonard Fournette game, which again, I know that sounds ridiculous, but if we just look at how they have used him in the playoffs, 
Like we have seen things that are approaching Leonard Fournette games, right? Like we saw 19, 17, 12 carries in the three playoff games, four, six, seven targets in the three playoff games. And if it's a situation where it's a lower scoring game and Leonard Fournette ends up having 20 opportunities against a defense that is very vulnerable to running backs and it's a low scoring game, Fournette has over a hundred scrimmage yards and two touchdowns. He has an outside chance of winning MVP. And so there are some books out there at 33 to one where you can bet on Fournette to win MVP uh, or even 30 to one. I don't hate that because I, I can see like a clear game path to how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. I mean, he had some, some longer runs last week. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. What about Ronald Jones? Are we just assuming that it's locked in as far as the, the roles as they are now? You know, he, you can't take Fournette out of that receiving back role, right? He's just, <laughs> I mean, too, too valuable. Yeah, you, I mean, you can't. You'd be making a massive mistake there. Um, so with, with Jones, so one bet I should say I do have is Jones over um, eight and a half carries, um, which, you know, that's a number that he's surpassed. Uh, I think pretty consistently since week 10, he, granted he's missed some games, but I think he will have a role, especially because as I mentioned, the chiefs defense is vulnerable to running backs. And so I do think that they will be attacked in that way, but yeah, I think it's, it's pretty locked in stone. Fournette is the the receiving back. And because of that, I think he's going to have more snaps. He's just going to be out there uh, more of the game. And I, I do have him with the edge and carries right now, although it's it's not a massive edge. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I remember in that last game uh, with the Bucks and the Packers, it was disgusting how much they were running it on first and second down. And then that's why everyone was commenting on the fact that Tom Brady was converting all of these third downs because he, he had to convert these third downs because they were, yes. they were accomplishing nothing on first and second down. And so that disgustingness could play into at least the rushing attempt stuff that you're mentioning for the different backs. And, and yeah, yeah. Keeping that, the game that, close. A, I mean, Arians is low key, not very sharp when it comes to a lot of this stuff. I mean, yes. for, for God's sake, he had to burn a timeout to, to go for it on that fourth and three where like you, you, you have a fourth and three yourself. And the worst case scenario is the other team has the same opportunity, but in 10 yards, worse field position, only if you don't get it. Like it was like a no brainer type of go for it. Um, but, but, but anyway, so Arians could, could definitely shell, could go into a shell on this and keep it close type yeah. of attitude on and, and so that's that's really the mentality here and, and one thing i should say um we've talked about a little bit kind of like correlated props here and some books um right now do allow people to make correlated uh you know same game parlays with props and because there are now so many more markets for the super bowl this is the type of game in which that type of feature especially could really pay off because if Fournette does win the MVP, that pretty much necessitates that he scores a touchdown. Uh, I'd say multiple touchdowns, right? And so just parlaying those two things together could be massive. You add in going over 
on his rushing total. If he wins MVP, he almost certainly has to go over his rushing total. And there's a decent chance he would also go over on his receiving total. So I think there are some big opportunities here for same game parlays for the books that allow that, especially when you go beyond Mahomes and Brady and start looking at some of these other guys who would maybe win uh, if things just break a certain way in the MVP market. Yeah, no, that that's interesting because, like you mentioned, there there's more there are more bets available. Presumably, you can actually find some some positive EV on these bets that you wouldn't be able to find somewhere else. And via uh, stuff like parlays, it's kind of like leverage. It's kind of like the books yes. giving you leverage, right? So it's like it's like you know getting those call options on GameStop. You know, it's, it's like you're play, you're 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 playing that one. I'm trying to bring some worlds together here. Yeah. Um. So so you know, it is leverage basically, though, right? Where yeah, where very, you, where, yeah, where very it, much. so if you have it, it's these are like I think parlays get a bad rap, but if it's a if it's a positive EV type of bet and and you can correlate them and you can get that leverage, it's actually better than yeah, than yeah, absolutely. Than not you do it, it yeah. only if it's correlated. But I mean, you have to think right. about the scenarios here. There's no way. Leonard Fournette wins the MVP if he doesn't have a big game. So just like right. parlay that with all of the props that have to do with Leonard Fournette having a big game. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Um, what else do we have on our on our list of increasingly obscure props? We don't have to go too obscure yet. If you have anything like ridiculously obscure, we'll save that for the end. But as we're moving down here, what else do you have? Uh, I, I do think that we could see a lot of sacks in this game. And, and that's part of the right. thing that puts me towards the under uh, some of it is obviously that offensive line problems uh, with the, the chiefs, their lack of continuity, lots of players injured going against a defensive line that can certainly get pressure. But I also think on the other side of this, um, that chiefs defense is probably better at creating pressure than a lot of people think. Uh, and so uh, four, uh, three and a half, four, four and a half. Those are some of the numbers that are floating out there for total sacks in this game. Um, wherever it is that, that you find it, uh, I don't mind the over there. I think that's a pretty decent one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have the offensive line stuff. I mean, Mahomes and Brady are pretty good about not taking sacks generally. They are. But that's a pretty low number, though. That's a, that's a low number um, as far as a, for a total for a game where you have two defenses that are pretty good going against each other. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, honestly, I haven't thought too much about a lot of the, uh, more exotic ones. I'm sort of saving that for, uh, for after, after the podcast, sorry, Kevin, but, uh, and, and so like a lot of, a lot of the, uh, analysis has been focused more on players and less on like the game type of props, but there are certainly a lot of them out there. The wildest one, uh, and this is coming from Sean Corner, uh, odds maker um, at uh, Action Network. Um, but the the wildest one, uh, and I love this, is a a punter prop. Um, it's I don't even remember his name, but the punter for the Buccaneers. Um, I think fifty four and a half yards for longest punt. Uh, Sean went back and did some research on this in terms of like what his longest punt has been, what his average length is, what it's been this year and also previous years. Uh, and he thinks the under is a pretty strong bet. Uh, and based on the word of Sean alone, uh, but then the research that he mentioned uh, in talking about this with me, uh, I, I think under 54 and a half for whatever his name is, the punter for the Buccaneers. Uh, I like that bet quite a bit. And that is just sort of like an example of like peak degeneracy 
of what you can find uh, in the betting market for the Super Bowl. You will never find a prop like that for any other football game, only the Super Bowl. Yeah, I see. I see Bradley Pinion here. Is he still the guy, or did they bring in somebody else? That's remember, the guy. But that's so. Yeah. So that is interesting. Now, it, are we doing weather readings on this sort of stuff? How does it, I don't know what affects is humidity good, bad? Is it is it all just good temperature? And, and I wish sort of I could tell you matter? that I were sophisticated enough to include that stuff <laughs> in my models, but we both know I would be lying. And the truth is, I don't care. You know, like it's it's just something that probably is not going to impact all that much. Okay, let me. Okay, th- this is an interesting question. I was just thinking about watching the game, seeing the punt go up, and it's it's unclear. You can't catch it, so you, the punt, the the returner steps back and just the degenerates like hoping that it doesn't bounce forward too much, like it like which which way this punt yeah. is bouncing and whatnot. Um, can you can you keep it straight in your head all the different stuff that you've bet on, uh, all the different props that you have. Or like every play, can you do a mental accounting and then just not like, or you can even do that. Can you do that during the course of a game? Uh, sort of, but I generally don't like I, because for me, it's something that's totally separate. And it's also like for people who have a ton of fantasy teams, like they're watching different games and they have all of these players. And it's like, you, you don't really know like when something happens, what that means overall for your entire portfolio of teams. Right. So in some sense, like, but you know, if a guy scores a touchdown, you don't have him, right? Like it's, it's a, whereas in fantasy league, you might have him in some leagues and not have him in other leagues. So it could be good and bad, but you're you're not going to get that sort of scenario. Yeah. I mean, I keep, I keep a, a sort of running tally, but it's honestly not the kind of thing that I, I obsess about all that much. Because uh, I don't know, like I just, I, part of it is uh, maybe temperament. Part of it is having done props for a number of years that at this point, it's just sort of like, it's all the same. Um, And yeah, part of it is maybe just kind of sheer volume, but uh, honestly, like it's, I I don't, I don't sweat it all. The ones I sweat actually are the ones that I talk about on podcasts or on shows to like, (laughs) even if it's not the biggest position I have. It's just the one that the most people pay attention to. And they're like, you idiot. How could you bet on Travis Kelsey? It's like, ah, you know, like that'll be the one when, when Kelsey doesn't hit, that will be the one that stings the most. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess it doesn't really apply this year as much, but if you're watching the game, like do you ever, do you ever go and watch the game with a bunch of people who are not really caring about any of this stuff? And so you just put that in, in the back of the mind. Um, if something happens, like does your wife know? Does your wife know what's going on here as far as as far as the amount of money is being put down on these on these props? Also, I'm I'm just I'm not saying that it's that much, but like is it those sort of things? Like if you're in good company, are you like did you stand out essentially? Uh, okay, so in previous in previous years, uh, when I've watched games with other people, they've they've been guys who sort of know what I do professionally. And they'll okay. be like, like, who are you betting on? You know, like they'll, they'll ask, you know, and they'll be like, is, is that good for you? You know, or like, but I generally yeah. keep it pretty, pretty tightened up um, in, in terms of like, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's best that uh, people in this household don't really have a full sense of how much I'm, I'm betting on, on Super Bowl props or their yeah, thing, things yeah. like that. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah. if I'm in, if I'm just in sort of general company, I'm not like over there, like pulling my hair out or really sweating what's going on with props. Like I'll pay attention to it, but like, 
it's at the point where it doesn't impact me emotionally one way or another. It's just, it's just another form of investing. Okay. Okay. And then, okay, let's, before we go, I appreciate the time going through all of this. Give me all your, all your best ideas here. Now you mentioned there may be some things that you're going to look at going forward. Is there anything in particular that you haven't looked at that you're thinking about? Maybe we can talk through it a little bit and then, and then I'll let you, I'll let you go. What do you, where, where, like, where do you think there could be something going forward? Is, is it would change your mind to, to, to look at? Uh, in terms of player props or in terms of like game, game level, props? Any, any, anything, anything that you're looking at now. Okay. Well, I will definitely be interested in what happens with Sammy Watkins, uh, Demarcus mm-hmm. Robinson, Antonio Brown. Uh, even if Antonio Brown plays, I will. Well, let me rephrase that. Even if he doesn't play, I will probably still bet the under on Scotty Miller. Um, but that's that's one thing to to keep an eye on Antonio Brown and how that will impact Miller. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, I've already bet the under on him, and now I'm just hoping that he <laughs> he plays. But that's just me, you know, hoping uh, for the COVID thing to work out so that he can play. Uh, Sammy Watkins, if he plays, I will likely be betting the under there because um, I think there are just multiple avenues through which he could hit the under. Um, you know, whether he's limited, whether he plays, suffers some sort of aggravation, I think it's actually likelier than not just so that they can keep Carlton Davis away from Tyreek Hill, that they have Davis shadow Sammy Watkins. And I think that's actually a pretty decent matchup for Davis. Uh, so I think it's not a great situation, multiple perspectives for Sammy Watkins. So I will be looking at the receiver situations for both of those teams throughout the practice schedule in the week just to kind of think about where it is that I will end up putting some bets on these guys. Okay, well, one last question as a follow-up to that, because that sounds like you're looking for opportunities to go further in on like a thesis that you already have, essentially, in, in yeah. some ways, which which yes. is the the narrow the narrow pass, passing targets for Kansas City and kind of just an overall uh, uh, lack of production for wide receivers for, for Tampa Bay. Do you ever flip it? Is there ever like you're making bets early in the week and then later in the week as circumstances have changed or as your philosophy has changed that you might be you might be looking at something that you know, at least tangentially, when you think about it, is 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 in, is in a reverse correlation to what you've already done. Uh, I mean, yeah, because I make mistakes, and then sometimes <laughs> you know, uh, guys that I think are going to be active are inactive or whatever it is. But um, because we have two weeks to build up for this. One, maybe I'm just a little more entrenched in my my position, uh, so maybe not a good thing there. Uh, but You're two, just searching I think, for confirmation bias all, all week. Yeah, all week long. yeah, exactly. Uh, but then two, I think that just gives it gives us more time to to think about what's going to happen in this matchup, and so um, it's hard to know with the Chiefs in particular because they do such a good job of moving their wide receivers all around the formation and stuff like that. So you never really know like which cornerback is going to be on which wide receiver. Um, But we have seen these two teams play before. So that does give me a little bit of sense of how things might, might roll out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate again, Spending the time educating me once again on what's education what's going is on not here. the right word. I'm I'm just talking, really. I mean, I I have opinions on this stuff. Maybe my opinions are slightly informed and, and better than opinions that other one. But it's just it's one game and so many different markets. Uh, I mean, there were decent odds. I just end up being totally wrong on a lot of what I said. 
Well, it would be like theoretically impossible to not be I, I, wrong on, yes. on a lot of a lot of what you said. As long as you're yeah. right on a little bit more, or you're you're, you're right true. on some some long shots, which I think Fournette. I'll be looking out for Fournette, and then while I tweet why he doesn't deserve the MVP, if he does for the MVP, <laughs> I'll be I'll be thinking about I'll be thinking about you like with uh, Damian Williams last year. God, uh, yeah, I mean, but it, everybody. Look- yeah. If Damian Williams didn't win last year, Fournette's very unlikely to win this year. But uh, anyway. Yeah, well, you're not attached to Mahomes, so that, that helps. That's I think true. with Brady in some ways it's probably better. But anyway, everyone, you know, listen to uh, all, those, all the content that Matt produces over the Action Network. Follow him on Twitter, at Matt F. The Oracle. Uh, and of course, of course, rate and review the pod here, and we'll be tuning in starting off the offseason. The offseason is really... Like this is this is when this is when this this podcast and my content hopefully comes to shine because um, I, I don't know what's going on during the game other than what my spreadsheets tell me. So the off season, I think I could have a little bit better idea on just poo pooing everyone's draft and free agency takes. So that's what I'll be doing. All right, thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next week.